in first peter here um so last week we wrapped up second corinthians and we just we preach right through the bible here so we're under god's word and under his authority let's let's pray for a moment and then i'll we'll get into first peter okay god help us to listen to your word god we are your servants help us to be willing servants who want to follow you god and that in our hearts there wouldn't be any kind of um, rebellion against your word, God, or murmuring in our hearts or anything like that. Help us just to be happy for what you've told us, God, and to be encouraged by it. And um, Pray for the children upstairs and those watching them, God. Just pray you bless their time. and Pray, God, um, your blessing on them that, that they would come to know you soon when they're little. Um, thank you for those of them who, who already do believe, God. Um, we're just so happy for them. Um, just pray you bless this time, God. We invite your spirit to being among us now. Um, just help me, God, to say just what you want me to say in your name. Amen. Okay. All right. So First Peter here. All right. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So Peter, um, one of the apostles, one of that Jesus himself chose. He was with Jesus throughout his whole ministry, and. And um, he is writing a letter to a multitude of people, not just one individual church, but a whole region of churches in what we would now call in modern-day Turkey, kind of the northeast part of the Sea of Mediterranean. Uh, um, so, um, and he's going to write a comforting letter to them. He wants to help them as they're going through trials. As things are bad and things are hard, he wants to show them not only how you can live the Christian life, but also just look beyond yourself. So let me go ahead and read it. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning. And um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read and pick up in First Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning the salvation of the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am written. For I, I'm sorry, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope were in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is a good news that was preached to you. Okay. So we'll stop there. So Peter, he's um, he's doing something that, you know, when we, when we try to comfort someone, if we know someone in our life that's going through something really difficult, um, and we want to write them a letter that's encouraging, I don't know if we write letters anymore, but if we wanted to send an email maybe or a note, you want the other person to really know that you identify with them, that they understand what you're going through or how hard it can be. And I think Peter's just like this. Peter, Peter as, just as much as any of us, has gone through a lot of hard times. You know, Peter really struggled with the significance of Jesus' calling on his life. Um, many, many times. He, he, Peter, and Peter suffered very much, too. Um, there's this one time in Acts 12 you're reading, and he's almost about to be executed. James had been taken. Um, James was killed. Peter was put in prison, but God intervened. Um, that's the kind of person you want to be able to write a significant letter of encouragement to you. So anything that's going on in your life, maybe you have a hard job, maybe there's a relationship, maybe there's, um, maybe there's your school is just too much, who knows? Um, or your family, maybe your family's turned against you or something. Um, Peter's letter is so great because he writes about the strength and the power of the gospel, of, and he does it not just with words of sympathy, like not just like, you know, I've been there and I know what it's like. I want you to, he's trying to take his readers beyond Peter himself, but to Jesus. Um, and, and it's for people that live in a, not a perfect world, right? I mean, our, our world, we would like our world to be perfect and easy and nice, but it's not. This, it's, Peter writes to people that live in this world that we live in, and it's hard and it's messed up. Um, so, and in this world, we have to display God's glory through our weakness, um, people are against us, and they are against the idea of a Christian who's who's solely living for Jesus. And and um, he's 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 writing to people who are scattered, um, scattered all over the world. I mean, maybe even because of the original persecutions in Jerusalem, we read about in Acts. And there were there were believers there who were who were sent out all over the world, and, um, and it may be that Peter knows them still, and some some of these believers have have ended up in these regions: Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And um, so, so people there li- living in this kind of in the in the pagan world, you know, it might be easy to say that Jesus is my Lord, so long as like just in the next sentence you can also say, well, Caesar is also my Lord. You know, if you can if you can say both of those together, um, but then antagonism happens when you say Jesus is my only Lord. 
There's no other Lord for me but Jesus. Jesus is the only way. When you said that, then you've crossed the line, right? That's where, that's where there's antagonism. And so Peter wants to encourage these folks. You know, are, are you scared to be called a Christian? Do you think you're going to be labeled a fundamentalist maybe? Are you, or, or worse, I don't know. Um, are you going to say that I am a Christian, come what may? Um, and Peter, he was just, he'd fallen just as much as any of us have. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, th- th- think about the night that Jesus was b- betrayed. You can even go there if you want to for a second. We'll go to Luke 22. It gives you insight into Peter's life. After he'd followed Jesus for three years, that Passover night, the night before Jesus was crucified, you know, Peter foretold that, I'm sorry, Jesus foretold that Peter would deny him. In chapter 22 of Luke, verse 33, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That sounds pretty strong. I'm willing to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Wow. Okay. Really. And then that actually happens in verse 54 of Luke 22. Um, Jesus has been seized. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas with a kiss. They seize him. They take him away to the high priest's house. Peter follows at a distance, kind of the entourage of people carrying Jesus into the high priest's house. So Jesus is on the inside of the building. Peter's on the outside. There's people talking. There's a camp. There's a fire. Um, and then verse 56, a servant girl, seeing him, seeing Peter as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then there's this just very momentous moment here where, where when, when he says that Jesus turns, apparently Jesus and Peter could see each other. Jesus turns and looks at, at, at Peter. And do you remember what happened? You know, Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Peter goes out, he's denied Jesus. Just he did the very thing that he said he wouldn't do. The, the next, you know, in the next day, Jesus is crucified. And so you wonder, like, if on that night, maybe if you were walking around in Jerusalem... What if you bumped into Judas? Or if, and, if, and then if later on you bumped into Peter, which one of those two people do you think would have more greatly sinned that night? You know, Peter fell, Peter fell pretty hard. Um, but later Jesus restored him. Jesus forgave Peter and reinstated him back into ministry. Peter, feed my sheep on the Sea of Galilee. Um, but it wasn't over then. And even after years of leadership in the church, Peter had been serving. And, and then um, in Antioch, Peter has, um, Paul has to confront Peter because he's been showing preference to the circumcised. It's kind of like a racial preference, preference between the Greeks and the Hebrews. Um, and so Paul has to confront him to his face. Wow, he's still humbled. And so, so Peter's gone through a lot. Peter's gone through a lot in his life. And so he's, he's writing to people as someone who's been there, and he can say, look, I've experienced comfort from Jesus. Um, and he's not just saying, look, you're going through all these hard times, and you're just you're doing a whole lot better than I thought you were. Like, man, I thought you would have stumbled a little bit more. But no, he's not trying to say that. He's, not, he's, he's saying, whether you're doing well or bad, you know, look at Jesus. Look, set your eyes fully on the hope that is for yours. Look at the object of your hope. Look at Jesus. Don't, don't think about how well you're doing so much. Um, Think about the power of God. 
And he wants to comfort them with just the, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who loves us. No matter what anyone says about us, God loves us. And he wants fellowship with us. Um, okay, that's a bit of introduction there, I guess. So let's, let's look at the text here. Verse 1, all right? So, so he's, Peter calls himself Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Just, um, he, he's sent by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus. And um, I already mentioned that this is a letter to many churches. This is this can be so true for us too, because it was so. There's so many applications in this letter because it wasn't applied just to one individual church situation, but but to many people. So to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, it's almost like Peter saying, like you know, and remember in the in, in old times when our forefathers were carried off to Babylon. There were exiles in Babylon. Think of the di- Jewish dis- diaspora. We talk about that word sometimes. Like people that were in their hometown, they're in their home country, and then they're sent out. Some calamity happens, takes them into slavery or something, and sends them, sends them to another world, sends them to another country. That's the diaspora. They're, they're scattered throughout the world. And we think about that sometimes, um, about the diaspora. And so, so Peter's saying, like, we're the true diaspora. These Christians, all these Christians throughout the world who believe in Jesus, we are, in a way, kind of like continuing on in that. Um, just as God's people have always been kind of scattered when they're not in, the home, in their home. Um, and, and that's true for all of us, all of us who are Christians. We are like pilgrims on this land, who, wherever we are. This, this world isn't really our home. Our home is in heaven. Um, and so we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But... Um, and he says that we're elect exiles, or maybe chosen exiles. Sometimes your translations might put the word elect or chosen in um, closer to verse 2. Because verse 2, everything that is said in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus, everything that's said in verse 2 is applied grammatically to those people who are the chosen exiles. So some translations put that a little bit differently. Um, but... Um, Peter introduces this idea that God chose us, and it comes right at the beginning of the letter. And, and sometimes the idea that we're chosen by God, believers are chosen, can be like an anxiety-inducing idea. Um, it can create arguments. Um, that's unfortunate. All, every time in Scripture when, when we're told that we're chosen by God, it's a comfort. It's supposed to be an encouragement to us. Uh, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, no matter what fiery trial, God has a reason for that. Um, and, and this, this, this is the same idea here. You know, and, and it's not our job to figure out who the chosen people are. Our, our job is to present Jesus, present the hope, and, and, and talk about the need to have personal faith in him. If you do that, you're doing well. Okay? Our, our job isn't trying to figure out who the chosen people are. Um, that's, that's up to God. But, but it is clear that, that it's a comfort. Okay? So, and, he, and he says that we're chosen exiles. What's an exile? An exile is like someone who doesn't belong. It's a nice way of saying, like, if someone, like here in, here in America, what, what do we say? You're a green card holder. You're a resident alien. Is that, is that what we say? Like resident alien? We're, it's a nice way of saying where you don't belong, right? Um, you're, you're, and, and something that comes along with that is the idea that you're, um, there's this antagonism or persecution or like people don't like you maybe if you're an outsider. Um, that's not always true, but I remember when Rachel and I lived in Tanzania, we were 
um, I think I had a tourist visa, and Rachel, you had a what resident permit, and so we were we were outsiders. So it was there was there was sometimes there was a there was conflict that came with that, uh, but we didn't belong. Um, but but what's comforting here to Peter's readers is that they're chosen by God. God has a reason for it, um, and so with the distress you're going through as an alien um, is not just because people reject you. There is rejection on the part of men, but it's also because God's chosen you. God has a purpose for it. Um, let me look at a few more places in First Peter where, where, where Peter mentions this, um, um, this kind of the pain of being an alien. Um, in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Um, in chapter 2, verse 21, it says, To this you have been called, to suffer, because Christ also suffered for you. Um, in chapter 4, verse 4, they malign you because you do not run with them. Basically, people that you used to go with, um, they, when you used to party with them before, you don't party with them anymore, and so now your friends reject you because they don't, you don't join in with them in their partying. Um, or chapter 4, verse 14 as well, one more time. It says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. So one thing that comes with us being Christians, we're rejected because we named the name of Christ. Um, but that is a blessing in itself. So basically, I just want to say that being a refugee or being an exile is basically synonymous with being rejected. So, so Peter knows this. He really wants to emphasize the fact that we're exiles, we're aliens, refugees maybe. Um, and that rejection and suffering comes along with this. But the rejection is not the main meaning of your life. Your exile is not mainly defined by how people reject you. It's that God chose you. He loves you. Um, and it's not man's rejection, but God's election that gives you the main meaning of your life. Um, and that, that, that should be a comfort to us. Um, verse 2 says that we are people made holy by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And um, so some things flow out of this. If, if, if we are those who have come to faith in God, we can know that we have been chosen by God, and that should result in sanctification. It should result in increased godliness in our life and holiness. It should result in obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience comes through as we believe in Jesus, we believe in the gospel, we obey his commands. All these things flow out from uh, from our salvation. And I want to, let's, as we go on in the chapter here, like in verse 3, I'm going to talk about the new birth a lot. New birth, um, that, that, that's a way to say um, re- regeneration or new life. Uh, I'm going to use all those terms kind of interchangeably. So if I, I, I try to be consistent, but I'll, I'll probably say all three of them at different times. Regeneration, being born again, like new life. Um, Peter brings up this idea. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. So it was out of, out of mercy God, God saved us. He caused us to have new life um, to a living hope. And, and this, is, this is different from having religion. This is different from conforming to a pattern of behavior that other people do. New life is when God takes the heart of stone out and he gives you a heart of flesh. Um, we would delight in God's commandments. You know that you have it when you have faith in Jesus. Um, and this is kind of unsettling because it's something that's, that God does. Um, 
it, it confronts us with the fact that we were living in ignorance before, and now when God saves us, he's, he's giving us new life, and it's, he, we went from being in rebellion to, to, being, to being his sons and daughters. Um, and, but really crucial to this idea of how God causes new life is, well, let's talk about that. How does God regenerate us? How does God give us new life? How are we born again? Um, a couple things that can be said here. Verse 3, God causes us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And something that happens when the Holy Spirit takes our dead hearts and just unites us to Christ by faith. So we don't have faith before, we have faith now. That unites us to Jesus. Um, and it makes sense that Jesus does have to be raised from the dead, or else there's no new life to have. Um, it, it, you know, new, new birth happens in, when we're united to the incarnate Jesus. Um, Jesus does have to be raised again from the dead, else there's no new life for us. Um, so we see the resurrection, we have faith in God that he's true, God raises us, and that's, that, that is appropriated by faith. We take hold of it by our own faith. Um, another thing I want to go towards the end of the chapter, in verse 3, I want to talk about this. It says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So not of imperishable seed, but of imperishable. So God's word is one way that God brings about new life in us. It's just by, by sharing his scripture, by reading it, and listening to it with hearts that, that hear, not hard hearts. Um, one other thing in verse 18, one other way that God gives us new life is by ransoming us. Peter says, we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Um, and notice all, all three of these things that I've just mentioned, there's this reference to imperishability. So there's many things in the world that perish. They rust, they corrode, rot, whatever. But the blood of Christ is imperishable. It never, it never perishes. Um, back to verses 3 and 4 again. According to his great mercy, he causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. We have an imperishable inheritance. It's so good to know. Um, and it, let me talk about ransoming for a second. We don't really ransom people's lives much anymore, do we? I, but in, the, in, the, in, in old times, in the ancient world, there would have been an easy... There, there's a way, there's a process to ransom someone. Normally, if, if, if you were... If an individual was enslaved, if they had a debt that they couldn't pay, there was a process. You could ransom you. You could pay with some kind of money or something or an offering, and ransom someone out of their captivity or out of slavery. Um, we're told in verse 19 that Jesus' blood is a ransom price paid for our life. How much more valuable is Jesus' blood than gold or silver or dollar bills or whatever or your credit card? Um, we're, we're, we're born again, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. And what happens? So if, if, you're, if you're ransomed out of captivity, if you're ransomed out of your slavery, there's a danger that maybe you might go back into that at one point. If you're paid, if, if your ransom was paid by money, well, maybe you might go back into it. Maybe you have another debt in the future. But if, you're paid, if your captivity is paid by uh, Jesus' blood, then there's... There's nothing more valuable than that. You cannot go back into the same captivity again. Um, 
Jesus' blood is of infinite value. His value never runs out. It's imperishable. Um, So this is just kind of a summary of how God brings about new life in us, or the new birth. Um, And the emphasis, again, is that we're born again to a living hope. It's so important, verse 3, a living hope. And, you know, in English... We can, we can use the word hope in a different way than the Bible does sometimes. Okay, so like, when we're all done here with the service, we're going to go eat lunch. And I might say, oh, I hope we go get to eat tacos. You know, we go to the taqueria or something. Like, that would be great. But you might not get the tacos. You might, everyone, maybe everyone else wants pizza. And we go, go, eat, go eat pizza. And your hopes are dashed, okay? Okay, so no tacos. That's, that's a different way of talking about hope than the Bible talks about hope. A biblical view of hope is like a, it's a sure thing. There's, there's, there's no uncertainty about whether it's going to happen or not with a biblical hope. Um, it's a living hope. So how, how important is that when you're, when you're thinking about trials and tribulations? You know, verse, six, verse 6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You need hope when you're going through something really hard like that. When you're going through a real trial, like the Bible talks about trials, you need a hope that doesn't waver. Um, there's no uncertainty. And what, what better hope than an, than, our in, than an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, like verse 4 says. Um, now, many people, and this is still happen, happening today sometimes, but, but in old times, when you became a Christian, you might lose your inheritance. Maybe, maybe your family disowns you. Well, part of disowning might, might be that maybe, you're, maybe you don't get the inheritance that you're hoping for your whole life long. Um, so, but we have an in, imperishable inheritance, undefilable, unfadable, kept in heaven. Any other inheritance we have will fade. And you know, the, the bad thing about the inheritance that we, have, that we might have here, like if you do actually inherit something from your parents... Oh, maybe you have to pay insurance on it. Maybe you have to lock it up somewhere safe. and um, Maybe you have to worry that someone might steal it or the stock market might go down and it loses its value or something. Um, how many of you carry keys around with you, right? Yeah, you carry your keys. Why do you, why do you carry keys around? Because you have to lock your stuff up and someone might walk off with it if you don't. Um, but our inheritance is kept in heaven. There's no lock that's needed for that. Our, our salvation... It's, it's something that, G, that God himself guards for us in heaven. It's not on layaway at Kmart, you know? <laughs> we, don't, we don't have an inheritance that's just kept under lock and key someplace where, I don't know, an earthquake could open, open the ground up and swallow it up. Like, no, no, no. Um, so it doesn't depend on us to keep our inheritance safe. God keeps our inheritance safe. It's in heaven for us. It's kept for us. It's really reassuring to know that even if we do sin, we can, we can ask forgiveness from God, but it's not, it's not up to us to keep our inheritance safe. God will keep it safe. Um, and, and verse 5 says, We are, by God's power, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's our inheritance. Um, it's so good to know that, that God is guarding it. And, you know, the, the problem... The problem isn't with the inheritance. I mean, we might think that our problem is our faith, our lack of faith, or our wavering faith. Um, but the same God that guards our inheritance is also the God that guards us, and He guards our faith as well, um, which should give us comfort. Because even if we feel like 
we're doing okay today in our faith. Like maybe next year or the year after that, we may not be doing so great. Um, but part of our faith needs to be that, that God will continue to give us strength and grace in our life, even throughout the rest of our lives, not just today, but years from now. That, that God will still be active in our like he's, he's active in our life now, but he'll still be active in the future. This is how God keeps us from falling away. But it, but it's, but it is our job too. We, like this lines up with our own will. It's our faith that we have to have. We have to cooperate with God. But God is shielding us. Um, so there's two things going on: has how we, how we persevere in the Christian life. We're, we're not kept con- against our will, and we're not kept against God's activity either. God is active in our faith, and we are active as well. So this very reassuring verse. This very reassuring verse to me here in verse five. I'm being kept by God's power. Um, okay, going on here. And all this, um, verses 3 through 12 are just one long sentence in the Greek that Peter has written. So in English, we have to have punctuation. And so uh, it, you know, it's necessary for us to be able to read it. We have to punctuate it. But it's, um, it's all one continuous flow of thought here. So um, verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, as was necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. As you're going through the trials, God is there. God and the gospel are true. And as we, you know, Peter's not saying that it's not really that bad. It is really bad. But God is there with you, and he wants to take us beyond ourselves and, and, and put our hope and faith in God. Um, when we read verses 8 and 9 again, though you, and, and our hope is, in Jesus, um, Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him, verse 8. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. So Jesus, though we don't see him, we, we, we know, we, we take with eyes of faith, faith that we, we know that Jesus is real. We know that Jesus is, is, is present. Even though we don't see him, he's with us in spirit. And, and he's here with us. And, and, as, and as we have faith in him, we have this inexpressible joy. God comforts us, um, even when even when we don't have anything else to give us comfort. Um, and let's keep on going on to verses ten through twelve. Um, Peter's going to talk about this knowledge, the knowledge of the salvation we have that Christ. Christ's sufferings and the glories that Christ has now in heaven. Peter says that the prophets of long ago, they prophesied about the grace that, that was to be yours. They wanted to have the insight that we have now. They wanted to know what they were prophesying about. Um, and this is, reminds me of Matthew 13. If you, if you think back to Jesus, one, one time he said to his disciples, he said, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So in other words, I guess Peter is telling us to be thankful for the revelation that we have in Jesus now. There are many people for, for a long time, um, just they did not know who the Messiah was. They did not know when the Messiah would come. And Peter's telling us to be thankful that, that what those people did not get to see that we do see. We should be blessed and feel thankful. Just gratitude for our salvation. Even angels in heaven long to look into the salvation that we have. It's incredible. Um, we're going to go on a little bit further here to verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. This is a, 
verse 13 here translates this, this metaphor in the Greek. It says, it's literally more like, prepare the waste of your minds or gird up the loins of your minds. So you say, like, you're going to have to do something really quick here. So now you need to get your mind ready. Think really hard about this thing, okay? So, yeah, and what does it mean to gird up your loins? Okay, so this is, this is the, the image or the metaphor that Peter's giving us. And in old times, people would often have long flowing robes, okay? There would be long garments. It wouldn't just neatly stop right about here or something. It would, you know, and, and, but if, if something really strenuous was about to happen, maybe you'd have to run or if you're going to have to fight or do manual labor or something, you have to gird up all your long flowing garments and tie them up and cinch them up and then you'd be ready to, be ready to do whatever it is you need to do. So that's the metaphor. And, and do that to your mind, okay? <laughs> um, think really hard about what I'm about to tell you. Um, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what you have to do. Think about the hope that we brought to you. Think about this. Here's the object. The object is the coming of Jesus, the hope that is coming to you. And that's, that's what you do. You think about the coming hope. You don't, have to, you don't have to hope really hard. Don't think about like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'm hoping. You, know, you, just, you, you think about Jesus. You think about what's coming. Um, um, I, I think about my, my, my daughter. Like yesterday we went to the pool. And uh, the moment we tell her that we're going to go to the pool, she's like, pool, 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 pool. You know, like there's no, there's no telling her to hope for the pool. Like she's going to hope. Like she doesn't, have to, you know, she doesn't have to muster it up or something. You know, she's going to think about it. And that's all she's going to think about. Um, and so verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is part of this kind of mental preparation, this mental cultivation of your mind and your thoughts. Um, you were brought out of your former ways. When, when, you, when you became a Christian, you renounced sin. The time for sin is over. Now, you may be tempted. If you know yourself. You know what your temptations are. Don't, go, don't put yourself back in those same temptations. Think about Jesus. Think about him coming back. Think about the hope that's yours. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance as an obedient child. Um, so that's, and, and we call on God as Father, he says. As he, and you, in verse 17, if you call on him as Father who judges impartially, so be an obedient child who, who, who calls on God as your Father. Um, Another thing to do, think about how holy God is. There's a connection between God's holiness. God is our God. We are his children. We should therefore be holy. You should be holy as I am holy. We're not told in other places, be all-knowing as I am all-knowing. You know? We're not told to be God. That's not what he's saying. But there is this connection. There's this link. Um, we're commanded to imitate God in His holiness. And God gets to decide what's holy, what's not holy. Remember the, you remember David's story of how he sinned against Bathsheba when, when, he, was, when he saw Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and then he, he seduced her and then had Uriah sent off to, to battle and had him murdered, basically, to cover up. And then, and then, uh, then the prophet had to, uh, had to rebuke David. And you think David sinned against all these people. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against basically the whole nation of Israel because he was king. You can't think of anybody else that he really didn't sin against. He sinned against almost everybody. But then in, you read in Psalm 51, he says, God, against you only have I sinned. 
Well, that's what's so heinous about it, right? Is that, is that God decides who's holy, God, and what's holy. God decides how to be made pure and how to be made clean from unholiness or from impurity. Um, so God is holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. And um, you know, and in 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 Old Old Testament times, you know, your life from sunup to sundown was just completely dominated by. Um, holiness and like what what was pure and impure and how to be what you were supposed to wear and what time that you know um, who like who what you could touch if you touched a dead body or or what you were wearing or if your house had a spot in it or something you had to show it to the priest and um, and there there were there were these regulations for what was pure and impure holy or unholy clean or unclean um, God God made those regulations and God also said here is how to be made pure here is how to be made clean. And so, too, now God decides this is how we are made pure. We confess our sins. When we, when we recognize sin in our life, we, we confess it to God, and he, he forgives us. God decides the parameters of how to be made right. He invites us to do that. Um, so this is, in, and when, when he says in verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, we know God is an impartial judge. Okay, he, he will be, he will be, able to decide perfectly between what was right and wrong in the last day. He will decide impartially. He, he will know in a way that we cannot know what were the true motivations in someone's heart. But call him as a judge who's also our father. Isn't that comforting to know that, yeah, well, a father, okay, like I have authority over my daughter. Um, I say, you know, this, this is what we do, and if you don't do it, you go into timeout. But I have compassion, too, because I'm the dad, right? Okay, your father... He has, your father has authority, but he's also your father. So he's also, he understands. He has compassion and mercy on us, too. So that should motivate us to be holy and to, to imitate him and to, to know, too, that if we mess up, he has, he has compassion on us. We can call on him and we can ask him for forgiveness. Both of those things united together will, will comfort us. Um, he says, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers... He got, brings this idea of being ransomed again. Okay, so verse eighteen, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. How many of you, your parents, your forefathers, your ancestors, had just feudal ways? I guess like, how many of us can raise our hands and say, "Yes, the people that came before me, they really messed things up." Yeah, I mean, I think every one of us can say that. Um, it usually doesn't get better, better the further back you go. Um, this, what this says is that all of us, it, all of us were living in ignorance. All of us had things that we inherited and things that we ourselves did. We, we were in bondage to sin. We were in captivity. But we've been ransomed from those ways. Jesus paid for us with his blood to come out of that sin. The time for sin is over with. Um, there's no point in saying, you know, I've done the same thing just as I've always done, therefore I'm just going to keep on doing it. You know, that's, if it's worthless, don't do that. Don't keep getting the same results. Um, this, if it's a futile way, a futile way is something that, like, if we, had per, if we had just continued and progressed in our sin, it would have destroyed us. But God's merciful to us. He doesn't want us to be destroyed. Uh, we were under the wrath of God, in rebellion to Him. If we have faith in Him... We have faith knowing that God, God raised Jesus from the dead. If we believe in that, if we take that to ourselves, 
if we're believers in God, like verse 21 says, then that's the foundation for our new birth. That's the foundation for our regeneration, that God has given us new life. That's the objective external event that happened in space and time, that Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was resurrected. He gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We can look at Jesus' resurrection and have faith that Jesus is who he says he was, who he says he is. Um, you know, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's offered to us. We're sinners. It's, we're offered this as a gift. Um, it's not just new life, but eternal life, too. It has lasting, ongoing significance. Um, and because it was eternal life, we had to have an eternal ransom price to be paid, an imperishable ransom price, not silver or gold. That's, I talked about this already, but it's Jesus' precious blood that bought our salvation. Um, Peter says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. I think here Peter is just, he's just overflowing, and thinking about Jesus, he's just overflowing in how, he's, in how he loves him, about how just glorious Jesus is. He says, having purified your souls, in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. When we're born again, when we have new life, we're purified. That's God purifying us and sanctifying us. We think of sanctification sometimes as like an ongoing, progressive thing, but there's an instantaneous sanctification that happens as well when God purifies our souls. We're made new creatures. Um, And so if that's been true... He says, love us. Work that out in sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, verse 23. So since you've been born again, work out, let's just let, let the gears of your mind think. You've been born again, therefore, love each other. Love each other earnestly. The one will flow from the other. You can't, you can't say, I'm a Christian, if you don't have love for others, if you don't have love for Christ. Um... And I think that should help us, too, as we think about evangelism as well and how we think about sharing the gospel. That, that is itself an act of love, right? Um, and there's a link there between um, the word of the Lord and being born again. And verse 23 makes, makes that link. It says, you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The, the link is that the word of God is like, is like a seed. It's like, a, it's like the farmer throws the seed out. And, um, and, and when, when it falls on, I'm thinking of the parable of the sower, when it falls on fertile ground, a heart that will receive it with faith, then it grows up and there's, there's faith in the person and, and that's how you're born again. So God's word is like, it, it's how you become a Christian. It's not an imperishable thing. It's a, it's a valuable, imperishable seed. That's how God creates new life in spiritually dead, unbelieving hearts. Um, there's not many more important verses, I think, in, in, than this one in terms of like how God brings about new life and how God uses the word. Um, so when you hear God's word, what do you think? Do, do you listen with a heart of faith? Do you look up to heaven and thank God for it? Uh, maybe in the best of times. You know, obviously not every time you hear the word. But, um, but do you receive God's word in faith? Do you thank him for it? A man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And and just to go on a little bit further into chapter 2, 
Peter says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter's saying, like, just, just like a baby needs milk and, and desires milk, we should desire the Word. We should desire Scripture. Um, you know, like, why Paul uses milk sometimes is like a, something that the immature need. And then, it's a, then he admonishes the Corinthians, like, you, you need milk. I mean, I mean, you need meat. You need to go on from milk to meat. But, but this, this is like the milk of the Word, basically. Like, all of us should desire it like a child loves, loves, loves milk. Mm. And, and so if you're going to be free from malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and from slander... You just you just have to hunger for God's word in the same way. Um, I, I skipped over verse twenty four. It says, "All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." Peter says, "All flesh is like grass. All flesh. That means like any human activity, any anything people do. Eventually, it's just going to fall apart. Like the Roman Empire. You think of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was just known for being just massive and powerful and strong and." It too faded. Um, anything that people does, eventually there's just this, this vanishing aspect of what, human, what, what humans do. But not so the Word of God. It remains forever. It says, this Word is a good news that was preached to you. So th- think back to your life. Think how you became a Christian. Like what you heard, it's imperishable. It's a good news that was preached to you. So we're going to wrap up here. And just, just think about... Think about God's word. Just think, think out of gratitude for what he's done for us. Um, think to yourself, have, have I in fact tasted that the Lord is good? Just a little bit of reflection. If you've really, have you put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like chapter 2 verse 1 says. You know, if you have, you can thank God. He's, he saved you. Um, maybe he still has work to do in your hearts. But... Um, but Peter, again, he wants to confirm us just in our salvation. He wants us to obtain the outcome of our faith. He wants us to have joy inexpressible. He wants us to thank God who's caused us to be born again. So let's do that. And um, we'll go into our open time here. I'll pray for us one more time, and then, and then we'll transition. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. We thank you for Jesus, who is foreknown before the foundation of the world, manifest in our own, in our times, um, for our sake. Help us, God, to think about him and to just reflect on him in gratitude for his work on the cross. Um, pray now as we take the bread and the cup that we would just remember his love for us, God, and that he, uh, he willingly suffered on the cross for us and shed his blood for us. Um, pray, God, that we would be holy people, that we would... We would follow you, God, in your holiness, and that we would imitate you in it. Help us to do that, God, not out of just pure pressure, not out of just a desire to do what other people are doing, God, but really just to to know that we are your people and that we would be obedient children. Um, Pray, God, that you would work that out in our lives. Help us to, to, to do that by faith. In your name.